psalm. We find spelled out in Scripture that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, has a threefold shepherd ministry towards us. He is the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. He's the chief shepherd who one of these days is going to come and get his sheep, going to come and reward his sheep. We also find that he is the great shepherd who today lives for his sheep. We think about Christ being our shepherd. It's not just something he did for us in the past, something he's going to do for us in the future. We find that the shepherd ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ is extremely important in our lives for us today. And uh, we, as we zero in on Psalm 23, we find that it talks primarily about the present ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ as our shepherd in this particular psalm. Uh, this morning, we'd like to begin digging into the text of this beautiful portion of Scripture. And as we do, we find that uh, when people outline the 23rd Psalm, usually it break, it's broken down into three pretty easily discernible parts. Uh, verses 1 through 3 will be one part, 4 through 5 another, and verse 6 kind of standing out by itself. It's been outlined in different ways. Uh, one author outlines it as saying that uh, in the 23rd Psalm, we're with the shepherd in, in the glen, uh, in verses 1 to 3, and in, in the gorge, in the canyon, verses 4 to 5, and looking forward to being with him in glory, in verse 6. Another author says that God cares for our frailty. First, first three verses, our foes in verse 4 and 5, and our future in verse 6. John Phillips, a Christian author, Bible teacher, uh, talks about finding this following outline here in the, his mother's Bible. Her Bible was on the nightstand the day after she passed away. Uh, he was going through her Bible, and he found this, this outline in the 23rd Psalm, that in the 23rd Psalm, it's the secret of a happy life. In verses 1 through 3, as we follow the shepherd, happy death. In verses 4 and 5, as we go through the valley of the shadow of death with the shepherd, and finally, uh, a happy eternity. Uh, not too bad a way to, uh, to outline the book, uh, the chapter. We're, we are... For the most part, in our study through the 23rd Psalm, we're going to be pretty much taking a, a look at it verse by verse and exploring the treasures that we find there. As we look at verse 1, by the way, it wouldn't be bad if you've never memorized the 23rd Psalm. It wouldn't be a bad idea as we're going through these studies for you to, uh, to do that. And at some point, you have memorized it. Uh, this would be a good time to do a review and kind of recapture it in your mind again. A great, great passage of Scripture to have hidden in our heart and uh, hidden in our, our souls. So we get to verse 1 and we find it simple, the psalmist simply says, by the way, David is the author of Psalm 23, human author the Spirit of God works through. He says very simply, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And when we think here about the Lord being our shepherd, there's a bunch of treasure, really, that's packed into that, those particular thoughts that the Holy Spirit directs David to write here. There's a treasured reality. 
a treasured relationship, a treasured role that the, uh, the shepherd plays in the psalmist's life, and, and lastly, a treasured result when we really do have the Lord as our shepherd. First of all, we find the treasured reality spelled out for us there when it simply says that the Lord is. The Lord is. If you want to focus in on a powerful word in that verse, we find that it would be the, ver- the word is. And uh, the 23rd Psalm assumes God's reality as a person. And we note the psalmist uses the word is, not was, not will be, but talks about God's existence and his role in our life as our shepherd right now. Uh, the title Lord is a form of the Hebrew word to be. Whenever you see Lord spelled in all capitals in the Old Testament, it's a reference to the proper name of God, which some pronounce it Jehovah, some Yahweh, but it is the... Uh, it comes from the, the form of the word, the, the, the Hebrew verb, to be. And, it, and when, when we find that word, that name, it primarily is speaking about God's existence. He is the, the I am. In fact, if you remember in, in Exodus 3, when, when Moses gets his assignment from God to go and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, he, he asked, well, who, who are you? Who should I tell the people has sent me? And God's response to that was, I am who I am. And the emphasis is very clearly on the existence of God. He is the living God. He is the existing God. And we find that as you go through the the Scriptures, you will not find a lot of attempts to prove the existence of God. The existence of God is assumed in Scripture. Go back to the first verse of the Bible, and what do you read? In the beginning, what? God created. It doesn't start out with a, trying to prove that God exists, but rather simply assumes his existence and tells us about his creative activity in that particular chapter. Uh, we don't need the Bible to prove to us the existence of God because we find that really evidence for God's existence is, is so abundant that it, it's the fool that we're told in Scripture says, no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. All you have to do is look around at our creation. In every place you you see, there is evidence of a creator. We look at ourselves, even as as human beings, and we're told in Scripture we're created in the image and the likeness of God. And, And we find that because we exist, it's really a great evidence that that God exists, an indication of what God is like. You look at the the development of, of a human being in the when conceived and developing in the womb and the whole birth process. Uh, we can go on and on this morning. We won't do it. There's abundant evidence for the existence of God. And it's the fool who says there is no God. In, in uh, Romans chapter 1, it says, Man professes himself to be wise, but he worships all kinds of false gods. And we find that professing himself to be wise, he becomes a fool when he rejects God and denies God. There was a uh, famous atheist a number of years ago named Robert Ingersoll. And he would go into a town, he said, I'm going to prove that God doesn't exist. Come out to my meeting at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday or whatever, and I'll prove to you God doesn't exist. And it, people would come out to the meeting, and Ingersoll would stand on the stage, and he would shake his fist and say, God, if you're really there, strike me dead right now. 
and God didn't strike him dead. And he'd say, there's proof. I told God that if he's there, he should strike me dead, and he didn't do it. Therefore, there is no God. Well, all that proves is God doesn't take orders from Robert Ingersoll. Now, God does what he's going to do when he's going to do it. And there was a, you might think of it in terms of, a, of an ant that's sitting there on a railroad track, uh, on a rail. And he says, I don't believe in trains. There's no such thing as a train. And he says this, and he says this, and he says this. But what happens? If the timing's right, what happens? <laughs> Squish. Robert Ingersoll is dead. Eventually, God did take him out of this world through death. The sad thing is, he probably is also experiencing the second death at this time. We find that, uh, that we don't need proof of the existence of God, but we, I thank God today as we gather in this place this morning. The songs we sing to our God, we're singing to a real person. The songs that we sing about our God, we're singing about a real person. As we study the scriptures today and we talk about the shepherd, we're talking about a real person. We talk about the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh. We're talking about a real person, the living God. This marks God out from anything or anybody else that's worshipped in the world today. Our God is the living God. Our Savior is the living Savior who is even willing to experience death for us but when he was laid in that tomb, came forth again three days later alive. Our God is, is the living God. He's the God of life. He's the source of all life. We have life today because he gives it to us. Our God is. That's where we begin. There's the reality here of the very existence of God. He exists. And when we think about God existing, it assures us of the reality and the reliability of his of his promises that he's made. You know, any guarantee, any promise you get is only as good as the person that makes that guarantee or makes that promise. You can go to a place of business and you might get a guarantee that uh, somebody's going to stand behind their product, but if they go out of business, uh, you don't have any place to turn. We we had a uh, rubber roof put on the old part of the, the, uh, the church, the east wing of the old part of the church, quite a few years ago. And uh, a number of years ago, we had a problem with that. And we needed to get it taken care of, but we ran into a problem. The people that had put that roof on, guess what? They weren't around anymore. Guess what the value of that guarantee was? Zero. <laughs> Meant nothing. Our God is the living God, and, and we can count on his, his promises. He is the I Am. And we find that His very name is what he swears by when he makes promises to Abraham, to Moses, to others. He swears by his name. And we find that it's the guarantee that you can depend on what God says. Now, when we talk about the name of God, sometimes it's pronounced Yahweh, sometimes pronounced Jehovah. Uh, We we see it spelled out in uh, all capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in the Old Testament. How did all that come about? Well, well, the issue came about was because the the Hebrew scribes felt that it was blasphemous to even speak the name of God. In fact, it it wasn't really totally proper to even write the name of God. So when 
when they read the, when they read the, the scriptures in the temple or any place, the Jews would, would always say, Lord. When they came to this name for God, they would always, they, the, the Hebrew word for Lord is, is Adonai. And they would use that word Adonai and, and call God Lord. Well, when they wrote it, we find that what they did was they, they took the, the consonants for God's proper name, which is Y or J. The, the Y and the J are kind of interchangeable in Hebrew and in German, some other language, as well as W and, and B is also. But they would take the consonants for God's proper name, and they would plug into it the, the vowels from the Hebrew word Adonai, for Lord. And when they put that together, they came up with uh, Yehovah or Jehovah. And uh, so for years, you had people pronouncing God's proper name as Jehovah. And uh, the, the, there's questions whether that's really accurate. As they've done more study in the Hebrew language, they've actually come to find out that probably the, the most accurate pronunciation of God's proper name is Yahweh. And it comes from, as we said before, from the Hebrew verb to be. And whenever you see all capital letters for the word Lord in your English Bible, it's God's proper name. Uh, whether you want to pronounce it Jehovah, whether you pronounce it Yahweh, the thing you ought to get a hold of, though, is that we really have a true and living God. He is the I Am. In fact, that wouldn't be bad if you just called him the I Am. That, that would fit pretty well also. And you go over even to the New Testament, and one of the ways that Jesus identifies himself is as the I am. does it in different ways. I am the bread of life. I am the, <laughs> I'm the water of life. I'm the true door. Uh, one occasion he says, before Abraham was, I am, emphasizing his own preexistence before the incarnation. So we have the, the name of God and his reality, and we find that David here in Psalm 21, if you look at it, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And he's emphasizing the, the, the very person of God. We find also that there's a treasured relationship that stands out here. Uh, once again, the, the scribes, in their attitude about God, they, they, they were very, very reverent. They had a great uh, attitude of reverence towards the Lord. They wouldn't speak his name. They wouldn't write his name. But what we find that they, uh, they, they had, had good intentions in doing that. But there's one problem that kind of flows out of that. That's the fact that they, they almost came up with the idea that our God is unapproachable. And I'm so thankful I can tell you this morning, our God is not unapproachable. There are those today that still tell us God's unapproachable. Uh, the Muslims say you can't really know God. You can only know his will. Some say that we need priests and we need saints. We can't come uh, to God on our own. In fact, sometimes a lot of people want me to pray for them because they don't think they can pray. I'm happy to pray for people. Happy to pray for anybody. But one of the things I also try to emphasize to people is the fact that you know what? You can pray for yourself. What a great truth. We can come to the God of the universe. We might not be able to get through to the governor. We may not be able to get through to the president. But we can get through to the God of the universe. We can talk to him on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Our God is not unapproachable. In fact, all we find in Scripture tells us he is 
approachable. He created man so that we could have a relationship with him. He gave you life because he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to have an eternal relationship with you. In fact, we go over to the New Testament and we find out that uh, in the writings of the Apostle Paul, he says we can even call God Abba, which is a very familiar name. It's like the, the English daddy. It's an Aramaic word that, that's the equivalent of English daddy or papa or something like that. But, but, but thank God it's possible for you and me through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, not on our own because we do need a go-between. We need somebody to go between us and God. We need a mediator. But that mediator, we're told, is the man, Christ Jesus, the God-man. God who became man so he could die on that cross and pay for our sins so that we as sinners can have a relationship, an intimate relationship with the holy, righteous God of the universe. What a blessing. What a blessing that, that David indicates here that he could call God my, my shepherd. You know, he's got the right attitude here. It's an encouraging relationship. You know, the, it's, it's good to have a reverent attitude towards God, but we shouldn't miss out on the fact that God wants to have a close, intimate relationship with us. David claims this personal relationship with God. In fact, this may be the key to the whole psalm right here. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, it's a lot different than saying the Lord is a shepherd. Or even the Lord is the shepherd. That the Lord is my shepherd. Speaks about that great relationship we can have with the God of the universe because of God's mercy and his grace and his provision for David and for us. (coughs) We can have this type of relationship with God as well through the Lord Jesus Christ. What a, what a joy. What a comfort. We find also that uh, David sees that the, the, the Lord is having a treasured role in his life as being his shepherd. Uh, David knew something about shepherds, didn't he? In fact, what do we, when we're first introduced to David, what's he doing? He, he's a shepherd, right? Samuel's looking for one of Jesse's sons to anoint as king. And, and David, he's out taking care of the sheep. Other situations, we see him taking care. He knew about shepherds. He knew what it was like to be a shepherd. He knew the care that it took for the sheep as, as the shepherd. Now, we, we kind of get some different ideas here in the United States. I, I don't think we have anybody here that raises sheep. I had a couple, I had a, some folks in my church in Iowa that raised sheep. But you know what? If you, would, if you called them a shepherd, they'd be insulted. Uh, but they, they raised sheep. They were sheep farmers. And the way they raised sheep, they had a nice big pasture, and they had it all fenced in, and they just turned the sheep loose out in the pasture. And, and the sheep would eat. Sometimes they'd have to move them from one pasture to another, but they pretty much kind of left them on their own, except when it was time to shear them and whatnot. But if you go over to the ancient, uh, to, if you were in the ancient Middle East, or you go to a lot of places in the world today where you have people that, that are actual shepherds, they don't have fences. They take their shepherds out to a field someplace to pasture them. They've got to move them from one place to another. They have to know where to, to get water for them. They have to be there to protect them because fences do two things. 
fences keep the sheep in it also keeps other predators out and when you don't have the fences they're the only thing standing between the sheep and the predators was what the shepherd the shepherd so we find that we need to when we read psalm 23 we need to see it in terms of of shepherds from the middle east or even shepherds other places in the world today not in terms of, of sheep farming today in the united states now when we think about shepherds uh, they, they had to always be with the sheep. They had to care for the sheep. And they were, they were desperately needed by the sheep. We'll talk a little bit more about sheep in the days coming up and how badly they need a shepherd. But the, the fence could be a help to them. But if you don't have sheep fenced in, they, they could get themselves in all kinds of trouble. They desperately need a shepherd to take care of them. And uh, that's the role that David saw the Lord playing in his life. A shepherd who would be with him. A shepherd who would care for him. A shepherd who would protect him. And a shepherd who was desperately needed by him. David needed a shepherd, just like you and I need a shepherd. You know, there's some characteristics of a good shepherd. We see them in Psalm 23. We'll highlight them as we go through the psalm. We also see something about that in John chapter 10 where Jesus contrasts himself with the hireling. He talks about the good shepherd caring for the sheep and, and not running away when danger comes around. But he said the hirelings, they, they, they'll run off. They don't really care about the sheep. They're interested in themselves, not the sheep. But the good shepherd really cares about the sheep. And as far as some of the characteristics that stand up, a, a shepherd has to have knowledge. He's got to know the terrain. He's got to know where to find good pasture. He's got to know where to find water. <laughs> he's, got to, he's got to know sheep. He's got, to have lots of, he's got to have a concern for the sheep. You know, we apply these things to God. Uh, God knows everything. Aren't you glad he's our shepherd? He knows everything. He knows us. He knows our needs. He knows even the what-ifs. He knows the uh, hypothetical cases. He knows us perfectly. He loves us. He's concerned about us. He's the good shepherd who lays his life down for us. The good shepherd has courage and strength, wisdom, dependability. And here's one of the keys, present with the sheep. That's one of the key things about shepherds outside the United States of America. They're with the sheep. We had the opportunity to go to Romania a few years ago, and we saw sheep. And wherever you saw a sheep, you know what you saw? You saw the shepherd. And I thank God as a Christian, being one of God's sheep, if somebody sees me, you know who else is with me? The shepherd. No matter what I go, no matter what, what's going on in my life, no matter what's happening, the shepherd's with me. Shepherd is a very appropriate title for our God. It was a title that was sometimes used for ancient kings. Sometimes it's used of pastors. In fact, that's basically what the pastor, the, the term pastor means is his shepherd, one who feeds the sheep. And it's an appropriate name for our God. Lastly, we find that there's, there's some great results that come. When, when you have the Lord as your shepherd. There was a little girl in Sunday school that uh, stood up one day. That, that somebody asked, who can, who can tell us what the 23rd Psalm says? And this little gal, about four years old, raises her hand. She's ready to jump up. And you can really tell us what that psalm says? Yeah, yeah. 
And so, okay, well, go ahead. And here, here's, here's what she said. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. <laughs> That's what the psalm says. She got it. She nailed it there. When you got the Lord as your shepherd, what's David say? I shall not want. I won't lack. The Lord will take care of me. When it comes to his provision, we find the New Testament version of that is my God so will supply all your needs by his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And that's true for us today. That little girl, she had it. If we, if we have the Lord as our shepherd, we won't lack for anything. We'll, we'll have the most important things that we need in this life. We have him taking care of us. We have him watching over us. We have him seeing to it that all things work together for what? For good, to those who love God, to those who are the called, according to his purpose. And if, if God is our shepherd, we can count on him to care for us perfectly. You know, sometimes we doubt that. Sometimes we, 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 we lose sight of that fact. That flip over a few psalms with me to Psalm 73. This one's not written by David. This is written by a guy named Asaph. And, and Asaph starts out with something he says, you know, that I know. He says, truly, God's good to Israel and to such as are pure in heart. But he said, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Sometimes that happens to Christians today. We see the prosperity of the wicked. We see their financial prosperity. We, we see that they don't seem to have some of the same physical problems, health problems that, that maybe we experience. And the, Asaph says, I, I almost slipped. I was envious of them because I thought I needed what they had. I thought I needed the kind of financial prosperity that some of these other people had. I thought I needed all the physical well-being that some of these other people seem to have. He goes on, he says, I, I was feeling this way, thinking this way, until I went into the sanctuary of God in verse 17. Then he says, I understood their end. And he goes on and talks a little bit about that. He put them in slippery places. But here's the key, key thing that he learns through this whole experience. If you drop over to verse 21, Asaph says, thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. Uh, that, that's when he was envying the wicked. He says, nonetheless, I'm continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You've destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. Verse 28 says, But it's good for me to draw near to God. A literal translation of that is, The nearness of God is my good. What do you need in your life? You need the nearness of God. 
And you, if you have the nearness of God in your life, you've got a relationship with him through the Lord Jesus Christ, you have what you need. The nearness of God is my good. I put my trust in the Lord God. And I may declare all your works. We look at Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I like the little girl's understanding. That's all I want. Are you there? That's all I need. I, I need the Lord. And, he, and whatever he brings into my life, I can trust him. I can count on him. You know, we saw last week that there's some Christians that, that, that yeah, I'm saved. And they might even read and quote the 23rd Psalm. But in reality, their, their hearts and their lives are full of, of envy. Because they think other things are going to satisfy they think that pleasure is going to satisfy. They think that money is going to satisfy. They, they think that a relationship that, that's something that God wouldn't approve of is going to satisfy. The fact of the matter, none of those things satisfy. You know, if money is your shepherd, money is your God, you're never going to have enough. If pleasure is what you're living for, you're never going to be fully satisfied. But if God is your shepherd, if Jesus is your shepherd, you know him as your Savior who died for you. You're looking forward to one day him coming back for you. And in the meantime, you're looking to follow him today. You trust him to lead you. And so you follow him. We find out Jesus is all I need. You ever found that out? I heard one person say that, uh, you know, until they... The Lord was all I had. I didn't realize he's all I need. I've heard different people give that testimony. I think of one family that they, they had a business, lost their business, had some other things go on in their life, and they, they got put in a predicament where all they could do is trust God. That's not a bad place to be. Sometimes it hurts for God to get us to that place where all we have is the opportunity to trust him. God, you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to take care of me. fact of the matter is, if we have Christ, he's all we need. Would Paul say for me to live is Christ? To die is gain. Now we talk about treasure in this psalm. You know what the treasure is? The treasure is having Jesus as my shepherd. Treasure for you is to be able to say Jesus is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I lean on him. I trust him. I've got him. He's all that I need. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus is your Savior, there's something missing in your life and you know it. You're not satisfied. Your life's not what it should be. Your life's not what it could be. That's all boils down to one thing. It's because you don't really have Christ in your life as your shepherd as your Savior, as your God. Maybe you're a Christian and you know Christ, but you've wandered away from Him and you can't really say, the Lord's my shepherd, that's all I want. You might have to say, well, the Lord's my shepherd, but I want all this other stuff over here too. God wants to bring us to the place in our life where we can honestly say, the Lord's my shepherd. That's all I want. That's all I really need. And I can trust him to take perfect care of me. I would pray that you would tell the Lord this morning, 
that you want to have that kind of relationship with him. Well, you could say in all honesty, the Lord's my shepherd. That's all I want. There's nothing else that I really need. No one else that I really need. He's the only one that I need. He'll give me what we, the other things that we need in our life, and we can trust him to do that. Father, we thank you that you are approachable, that we as sinners who rebel against you can have a relationship with you, the holy, righteous God of the universe. We can have a relationship where we're your sheep, you're our shepherd. We're your child. You're our Heavenly Father. Thank you for that. But Lord, we realize you're only approachable on your terms. And those terms are that we come through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we can have the satisfaction. We can have the abundant life you want us to have. But we realize that that comes only as we walk in a close relationship with Christ day by day not just been able to point back to a day years ago when we got saved, but a relationship where we're walking with Jesus day by day today and even looking to share him with others. Father, work in our lives to bring us to the place where each one of us in here this morning could say, the Lord's my shepherd, that's all I want. If there's any that can't say that this morning, work in us, draw us to that point. Any that need Christ to save you, draw them to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Stand together.